Well, friends, you guys are in for a super fun episode. This is my husband and I tackling all the questions we get most common. One of those in particular is why we waited for sex until marriage. I know that you guys are really interested in that. We talk about how we meet and why we're just counter-cultural in a lot of different ways. And I heard one time someone say that normal is broken and normal is depressed and normal is you know, overweight and unhealthy and divorced. And well, we just don't want to be normal. So here are some things that we do differently. Why we're, maybe you want to call us weirdos, but I'd rather be called weird than normal. We finally sat down to the microphone because there actually was a water line break in the middle of downtown Chattanooga where he works, which is crazy, but he had the day off and it was perfect time to record an episode. So that is what we did. We sat up to the mic and I really think you guys are going to love this. So without further ado, here we go. My name is Katie Bulmer, a former heartbroken and hungover sorority girl. After I stopped looking for love in all the wrong fraternity boys, God blessed me with a husband who shows Christ's love to me every single day. We are parents of two daughters and thousands of others nationwide, and my heart behind everything I do is to give you truths. The world is screaming at you a bunch of lies, and I don't want you to hear those loud voices. I want you to hear the true voices. Grab your earbuds, grab a chai tea, and let's talk about some truth for your 20s. Before we dive into the podcast, I want to read you the review of the week. It says, whether you're in high school, college, or even transitioning out of college, this podcast is the one you need to listen to. Thank you, Katie, for talking about all the things us girls need to hear as we try to navigate single, dating, and the married world. I can't wait to see the fruit that comes from this podcast. Oh, thank you so much for this sweet review. You guys' reviews mean the world to me. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave them. If you could just hop on over to iTunes and leave your review, I would love to read it next week on the podcast. All right, here we go. Hey, babe. Hey. Finally got together on a podcast, took a water line breaking downtown for you to have a day off. (laughs) I just finally get to record, but I'm really excited about this. We're going to just talk about all the things. So first of all, I think that a lot of people ask us how we met. So let's share that story first. You share your version first. Okay. So how we met. um, Well, it's okay if you say like, you know, you saw me in like the angels saying and like the lights. Is that kind of how? Yeah, I think that's pretty close to what happened. So, <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I do. Um, I moved to a new town. I had taken a youth ministry job and I'd only been there for about six weeks. And I um, had the opportunity to preach because it was right after Christmas. And a lot of times when you're not the primary speaker at a church, you get to speak uh, right after Christmas. So I had the honor of speaking right after Christmas. And um, there was actually two girls named Katie who waved to me as they were leaving that day. And so that's where I think I first saw you um, to meet you. And then um, after that, we started going to the same Bible study together at um, my friend Dennis's house. And so he claims that uh, we started off on one side of the room from each other. And as the um, Bible study continued on, we progressed towards each other to when we met in the middle. And we started um, sitting beside each other and hanging out there. I also remember um, that we started running together, which I know running is a favorite of yours. (laughs) 
I was only running to get like, yeah, running to work out, which is like, I think the first and last time I'm just kidding. So I was running to get his attention. So, so we ran a little bit together. Um, nothing too major, but a little bit of running. We also, in one of those runs, I, um, somehow lost my keys or left them in the car or, and somehow locked the door or something. I don't know. It feels like a really good ploy at this time, but it honestly wasn't at the time. Um, and we went on a wild goose chase all around the town we lived in at the time to find my keys. And for whatever reason, I felt like we had to work with like three or four different people. I think we had to take a train, a plane, no. um, an automobile, all just to figure out how to get my keys. And the crazy thing is, is we weren't too far away. So I don't quite remember why we had to take so many rides to different places to make no, this no. happen. Okay. Okay. Here's, here's how it happened, guys. <laughs> I uh, actually, I was a new Christian and I, it's weird. Cause I had like three people tell me I need to go to this church and I'm like, Okay, I never heard of this church. I lived. This is the town I went to college in. I lived there for four years. I was like leaving my senior year in college. Never heard of this church called Fletcher Memorial. Shout out to our Statesboro friends. Three, like three or four people, tell me I need to go to this church. So I finally show up at this church, and this, and I'm expecting. I, I'm, I know almost nothing about church at this point. I expect some boring old dude, right? And this young, like good looking guy gets the pulpit and I'm like hey and that's why me and my friend we literally like, we waved at him when we were leaving of course he had no idea who we were but I was like <laughs> what's your name anyway so yeah and then of course like he said we started going to the same bible study together he said he ran and I was like um sure I run too which was just to get his attention and then what were we saying oh yeah about <laughs> he did like lock his keys in his car and we had to like ask three it was so weird like his we couldn't go back to his apartment because they were locked in. Anyway, it was a, while, a little bit of a wild goose chase, but that's when he finally got the guts to ask me out after we rode all the way around town. Hey friends, I know you're loving this chat as much as I am, but I'm going to interrupt really quick to let you know something I'm super excited about. And that is that I now offer online mentoring through my website. So here is the scoop. When you are in your 20s, you're forced to make a lot of huge decisions, right? A lot of times when you're in your 20s, you make a huge relationship choice. You might move, declare a major, get a job, lots of huge decisions. But if you are birthed into your adulthood at the age of 18, you are basically just a toddler adult. How do we expect our young adults to make such huge decisions without some guidance? Friends, I would love to serve as your mentor. I've been a mentor to college women for over 15 years. I've read a ton of books. I've been to conferences. I'm married to a seminary graduate slash incredible human being who counsels young adults and high school students as well. But mostly, I've just lived it. I was the girl who was in toxic relationships, who was utterly clueless of the decisions I made as a 20-year-old would affect my life as a 30-year-old and 40-year-old and beyond. So with that passion to help my younger friends set themselves up for their best possible future, I've developed online mentoring. It's all super easy peasy. The best way to find the information is go to my Instagram. I'm at Katie Bulmer Life. That link in profile will link you to all the good stuff with the online mentoring. We can do small group or one-on-one -on -one style. Either way, you guys, I really cannot wait to have coffee with you. In that time when we were just friends, and I feel like I've told this story a hundred times, but it just speaks so highly of his character 
And when it was kind of the like moment when I'm like, oh, this guy, this guy is the one I hope I can hold on to before we were even dating. So we were in a grocery store checkout line. It was a group of us. We were at Walmart because this is what you do in a small town. It's probably a weekend. I don't remember. And we're standing there and he reaches for a Cosmopolitan magazine. And you guys know every cover of a Cosmo magazine is a half dressed woman if she's dressed at all. And every article is like sex, sex, sex. And in the two seconds it takes for him to reach out and grab this magazine, I'm thinking, what is he doing? Awkward. You know, why? I don't understand what's going on right now. And then he flips the magazine around backwards and turns around and continues our conversation. And I'm like, what, 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 what was that? What was that? And he's like, oh, oh, it's just a habit I have of protecting my eyes less to compare my wife to one day. And I'm like, what in the who? Oh, my word. Are there more of you? I did not even know that this type of integrity was a thing. Can I be your wife on this day? It was basically what I was thinking. So this level of integrity is something that has always stood out to me with Brian. And so from that moment, obviously before I met him in this moment, he had this habits. And this is kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit today is the habits we've adopted in the 15 years we've been married that are countercultural, but I feel like so just important. And I just want to talk about it because there's not a lot of people who are. So one of those first things that we're going to talk about is integrity with the things we take in to our house, like through screens or through media or whatever, and the safeguards we put up. And um, and so I guess, Brian, since this is something that you taught me a lot, I guess I want to know why and how, you know, you came to this and, you know, why we do that now with our family. Yeah, I mean... I think it all originates back to how do you best honor your wife? Um, I heard something very early on that said that like in every dating relationship and how you live your life, um, especially when you're not married yet, um, you have the opportunity to set up those people that you do date for their marriage one day. And what type of person do you want to receive at your marriage? And how are you trying to make sure that the people that you're around and the people that you're with are put in the best situation possible for one day when they get married? That became kind of important to me. And I'd always think about that person, you know, that would come up one day for me. And I also wanted to make sure that if I dated somebody that I treated them so well that they're set up perfectly for the person that they married. I didn't want that um, guy, a lady um, who dated me, wanting to come punch me in the face one day for how I um, treated his bride today. So that was important to to me and how I tried to live my life and the things that I tried to do. In the day and age we live in, I don't think anybody's perfect in that category, but whatever you can do to cut down the images that you have to compare um, your wife to or you know, ladies that the, your husband one day, I think it just sets you up for more success in that marriage because you see um, your spouse as that main person that your your visual attraction comes from, and the main person that um, you know the the beauty that you see in somebody in the opposite sex comes from. Yeah, I heard one time that you know the very beginning when God made Adam and Eve, it was the only man and the only woman in the world. And I think it's cool because like every romantic song talks about you're the only one for me. And I I think that the original design was you know the only woman and the only man. Everyone wants their husband to see them as the only woman in the world and vice versa. And we can get at least a little bit closer to that by having less comparison, less images in our brain, less exes, less 
sexual partners, you know, the less we have to compare that um, husband or wife to one day, like, I just don't see how that can be a bad thing. So anyway, um, but backing up a little bit, I know that you weren't born this way. (laughs) What, um, obviously, I know these questions, but I just think it's interesting. What in your childhood or what, you know, made you have these high standards of integrity? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different things. My um, great-grandmother, I think, was always very prayerful, so I think it made me very self-conscious. I think when I was in middle school, I felt like that there was something greater than in life than just me and really wanted to figure out what that was. It was about three or four years later before I really figured out that having a relationship with Christ was something that was greater and bigger than me and who I am and how I'm wired, so that was really important to me as well. And so that kind of grew and shaped me. But then also my biological father had a lot to do to influence and impact how I was wired. Um, unfortunately, he made a lot of missteps, had a lot of missteps with alcohol, um, had a lot of missteps in how he treated other people. And I think I saw that example. It was not a direction that I wanted to go in in my life um, just based on what I had seen. So that was also impactful to me as well. And I think it kind of helped shape those things of kind of not wanting to follow in those same shoes. And, and and sometimes it's almost been a detriment. Sometimes I feel like I've tried so hard not to walk in those shoes that, you know, has been detrimental on how I've thought or processed through things, but it's also led to a lot of good things as well, as far as, you know, trying to be integral and trying to, you know, make wise decisions and things I do and the things that I say. Yeah. I always joke that he's like honest to a fault. Like we can't ever play any of those bluffing games or whatever. Cause he's like, you just see it all over his face. He's like, Oh yeah. You were honest to a fault, which is definitely, I'd rather you have you that way than <laughs> any other way. So one of the things that I feel is just countercultural, especially in our, well, pornographic world, I don't know how else to say it is how your habits of just protecting your eyes and like having safeguards on the computer before we even had children. So just like, Tell me a little bit about that because we don't have enough examples of that. Well, you know, before we got married, there, there's definitely a lot more apps and different things that you can do to help protect yourself nowadays. And I feel like we're out there, um, you know, as we were dating and, and as we were leading towards marriage 15 years ago. So, but one of the things I would try to do is try to put my computer by my window. And I was on the second story of the apartment that I was in. People probably couldn't have seen my computer, but there was always that doubt in the back of my head. So I felt like if I had it there, even at night, if I had the you know blinds open, then there was that chance that somebody could see what I was looking at, and then it's not private and protected. And, and, and I know everybody has a laptop computer today. Everybody has access to the internet today. So just setting your computer up and putting things in just such a public forum and such a public place where it's hard for those things to be hidden, I think is a good idea. There's definitely you know apps and other things that are out there today. Uh, you can lock stuff from your TV. Now, granted, you know the code, but we all tend to be a little bit lazy. So perhaps if you put a code in that blocks certain ratings of shows showing up on your TV and you have to put a code in to get through to it, then maybe having to put that code in would slow you down from doing those different things. Or you can always have somebody else reset that for you to put those things in a good situation as well. Um, so I, I think those are some of the key things for me, just guarding what life was like alone. And you bring up the fact um, that I shared about, you know, kind of protecting your eyes late at night, because a lot of times there's, there's a little bit looser rules on what they can show on TV late at night than there are during the day. I mean, I just think that just thinking about these things, you know, people laugh off looking at, at junk on the Internet and it's 
it, it, it impacts us. Like I don't want to take away from, you can't ignore that it impacts us. I remember one of my friends wanted to invite me to go see Magic Mike, right? Like this, the, you know, the stripper show. And she like was joking, like, it's just a movie, Katie, like kind of joking. And I, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know how to handle it at first. I'm like, okay, maybe it is just a movie. Maybe I'm overreacting. And then I thought about how just a few years ago, that movie, Quiet, what it's called, where like no one can talk. You know what I'm talking about with Sandra Bullock? right? The movie where no one can talk. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Where like, anyway, and the whole theater is like super, super quiet. And the point I'm trying to make is we are affected by the media. We are affected by what we watch. And when you are filling your brain, we can do a whole podcast on this. When you're filling your brain with pornography, you're teaching your brain something. You're learning something. You're reacting in a certain way. And if you're teaching your brain that plastic images and more than one person and, you know, a sex hungry, whatever, like it's all just fake and it's all unrealistic and it just does not set you up for good. And so anyway, just getting to the point of how temptation is a million times easier to avoid than to overcome. So putting up those safeguards to step three steps away from the line instead of dangle your toes over the line and hope to be a superhero. Like that's just the point I'm trying to make. So another way that we avoid that, and you know, we think it's normal because we've lived that way for 15 years, but we, we have two TVs in our house, and for the longest time, we only had one. 99% of our TV watching is just the one TV. We do have one upstairs for when the girls have been the night parties and stuff like that, but I just want to note that like, <laughs> I feel like people don't understand, oh, wow, I can only have one TV? Like I didn't even think about that being an option. We have a friend who um, their husband struggles with pornography. He got a flip phone. And like, you know, if they say if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And I know that sounds crazy. But the point is, if something causes you to stray, just don't do it. You can have a flip phone. You can have one one TV in your house. Just different thoughts that you might not have thought about. Again, temptation is a million times easier to avoid than to overcome. So a question I get often is, how did you know that your husband was the one? And first of all, I want to totally kill your romantic dreams (laughs) and say, I don't believe in this myth of the one. And the reason I say it's a myth is because our romantic culture, I know the movies are super cute and, you know, we have that whole you complete me stuff. But in reality, I think it's a little crazy to think with however many billions of people that there's only one person. I think that there are some for sure standards that should not ever be compromised and some, you know, some filters you need to run through every person you date. So for me, I wanted someone, well, I was, as I mentioned earlier, floored by Brian's integrity. So I guess the question you, the answer you might be looking for is when he had that high standards of integrity, I was like blown away. But the point is, I think you need to find someone who has lines up with you in the scripture as far as being equally yoked. You know, maybe a better way to describe that is like a three-legged race, because if you're trying to run ahead and someone else is laying on the ground and you're tied to them, you know, three-legged race style, then you're not going to get anywhere, which is the same style he described as a yoke. A yoke is, in describing the Bible, is Y-O-K-E, like an oxen. Anyways, (laughs) the point is you have to have be chasing after the same goal. You have to be seeking Christ together. Like it's truly, truly non-negotiable. I can't imagine like us ever being on a different page with that because it gets back to, you know, if Brian 
ultimately is the leader of our home. And so I, as a wife, want to submit to him. And the key word there is want, because I know 100% that he is in prayer for our family, that he is seeking out what is best for our family. And so if ever I'm in question, I get to lean on his guidance and leadership. And he lovingly, you know, leads our family. It's never like a, a, oh my gosh, you're doing a terrible thing for us. You never even like question what's best for us because he 100% wants best for us and he wants what's good for God. Anyway, does that make any sense? Yeah. I think the other thing um, is, you know, before you begin a dating relationship, if you get to be friends with that person, then I feel like the foundation is more solid because you need that friendship throughout your relationship you know, as something to fall back on. You're, you're two people who connect and care about each other. So I think, you know, what was important to me in the beginning was to know that Katie and I could be friends. And then knowing that we could be friends, knowing that we're pursuing this direction, I always felt, you know, with her that she lived out what she believed. She didn't just say she believed something, but she lived that out. And living that out, um, then it caused me, in taking the time to be friends with her, caused me to want to pursue her. And that was kind of the fun, um, awesome part of it is it was a little bit different and it felt a little bit different, but it was also great in the fact that I would rather it feel a little bit different because we took so long to develop a friendship that we took you know long enough to get to know each other and who we really were before we took that step towards that dating world. And then we just had to learn how to interact at that level of growing in that intimacy. And I think, you know, when you can see somebody pursuing something greater than themselves, when you see them live out what they believe, when you see them, um, you know, knowing that you can be friends with them, it really sets you up for future success in your relationship. The other thing is, is that, you know, nobody crosses boundaries that they don't want to cross by going too slow in their relationship with somebody else. And Preach. if you're in that relationship and so to speak, it was meant to blossom, meant to grow, meant to be, even if you will, that's going to happen, right? So you don't have to speed it up. It's going to happen. And there's a lot of great stories out there of people who, who took the time and even stepped away from relationships for a season and came back to them later when they're in a better situation. But knowing that, um, you know, there is no harm in going too slow. And I think that's one of the things that kind of led us to something that is probably truly countercultural today, but I think was very um, important to our relationship and, you know, what we can pass along to our children. And that is why we waited for sex until we got married. So I know y'all all want to hear about that. <laughs> so for me, I was not a virgin when we met, and that was a big deal for me because this is why I'm so passionate about speaking to sorority women and or just young people in general, because what I see over and over again is a girl who wants a guy of integrity, who wants to be seen as the only woman in the world, who wants a Christian leader of their home. Like, yes, yes, yes. Meanwhile, when I'm 19, I'm going to go make questionable decisions on spring break. I'm going to hook up with whoever is complimentary at the bar. And I don't know if it's just a developmental brain thing or what it is, but they don't understand that those decisions, like there's no erase button, you know, and they, they go with you. And so at 25, when, when I met Brian, you know, I was doing all of those things I just described, doing a bunch of questionable decisions, high school and college days. And so I'm 20, actually I was 24 at the time and I meet Brian 
this everything I ever said I wanted guy. And I'm like, oh, I have to explain those decisions I made. I have to explain I didn't realize you were worth waiting for. And those are hard things to unpack. And again, why I'm so passionate about speaking to young people is you don't have to make those same decisions. You can know 100% that God has his best for you. And you don't have to settle and you don't have to you know, get caught up in some sleazy guy who's saying the right things at the bar because your future wedding, your future spouse, your future everything can be so much better if you can just stop, stop going down the same road that everyone else is going. Okay. Which leads us to, we did not have sex before married, quote unquote, what everyone else is doing. By the way, the statistics actually show that premarital sex is in the decline. You do not see that in the news, but it is the truth. So hold on to that for a second. That is exciting. People are starting to realize, and this happens in history, by the way. Everyone shacks up with everyone. We realize our you know, culture goes to hell in a ha- handbasket, and they're like, oh, huh, maybe there is something to this sex thing, and people start to kind of simmer down. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Why we waited for sex before marriage, um, for me, was hugely different than any other guy I dated, and it was so just romantic and kind. Brian took, gosh, months before he even kissed me. It was when I told him I was coming back from New York. That's right. Yeah. I ran away to New York. And when I told him I was coming back, he, um, he smooched me. Yeah. I mean, we waited for a long time before even that. And, you know, the past relationships, it was like, how far can we push the envelope? Or, well, we went this far on this past date. Well, what about the next date? But with Brian, it was like, well, we're not married, so why would it even be an issue? And again, back to that temptation is easier to avoid than to overcome. We just didn't put ourselves in those positions. Like we didn't hang out past, I don't know, 11 p.m. with the lights off and articles of clothing missing, you know? I mean, like you're not in the bed, in the bed right? <laughs> like I've met so many girls that are like, well, we're waiting for marriage, but he spends the night and he sleeps in his underwear. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're going to play with fire. You're going to get burned, girlfriend. So just taping, taking 10 steps away from that temptation, then it just becomes a non-issue. And of course, I thought like, well, does he like me? Like, this is weird. And it was countercultural, but it was also super, the more I thought about it, super respectful and super honoring. But anyway, what's your what's your take on all that? Well, I mean, the other thing I say is, I mean, we had friends who, who um, went longer than we did. I mean, we had a friend and the first time that he even kissed um, his person that he was dating is, is on their wedding day, which um, still blows me away that, you know, they were able to maintain that level, um, of integrity. And, and I think one of the things that's important to me is what's the story that you want to tell? Because like Katie said, you know, she had to, um, kind of share with me, which I always think is wise before people get married to kind of share their experiences from the past because you need to know who they are. And, and I believe if you love somebody and you care about them, then those things are forgivable, but I think that they're healthy to share because that way you have the perspective of where the person that you're marrying comes from. Uh, I waited till, you know, Katie and I got married before I ever had sex. Um, but I also, um, was very tempted in different situations before I got there and, my personal um, boundaries, if you will, I felt like I had crossed those, um, like I said, not into sex or anything like that. But I did feel like that I had crossed those boundaries. But those boundaries, I guess, were set so far back, they didn't lead me into that, um, you know, sex before marriage. Um, but 
which was extremely helpful as we were getting together. But even those missteps that I took, I still had to share with Katie before I married her. And so you really have to kind of ask yourself, what's the story that I want to tell? What's the story that I want to tell to my future spouse? What's the story that I want to tell inside my head that I feel like that, you know, I have to live above or, or, or live down to or the things that I feel like perhaps even mark me. But also then what's the story that I want to tell my children about where I want them to be and how I want them to live their lives and are they willing to do what daddy did or you know you can definitely learn from the mistakes of others just like I shared earlier from dad and, and Katie as we walked into our relationship she shared you know from her past and so but that's the part of the story that she will you know share for children hey don't don't take the same path mommy did and the same thing she shares with y'all you know don't take the path that I took but here's a better path and I know that's better because I've seen it I've experienced it and I want it for you and I think that's the great thing about her is that when she loves something she's just so passionate about it that she wants to share it into the lives of others I think everything we're talking about though is behavior behavior transformation and yes 100% I want you to guard your heart before you get married and you know, take so seriously. I heard someone say one time, give your kisses as if you have a limited supply. And so truly like protecting your heart, protecting your eyes, protecting your body. Those are so important things, but they're also just behavior where the root of all this is your heart transformation. And I believe that can only happen by understanding your worth and your worth in Jesus Christ and who came to save you and to give you life and give it more abundantly. So like we said at the beginning, you know, God, we think our culture tells us that being a Christian means no fun, uh, too many rules, and it restricts you or something like that, right? But it's so crazy because you can see the people who have, quote unquote, all the fun, you know, celebrities with money and fame and all the men or women they want, but they're, they're on drugs and they're suicidal and they, all that happiness is not it's fake, you know, it's not really truly happiness because it says that God says he comes to give us life and give it more abundantly. And the devil comes to still kill and destroy. So of course, if I was the enemy, I would make sex beautiful and attractive and, you know, alluring because it is, but just like a fire in the middle of my fireplace, it is perfect and good in the middle of my living room couch. It is destructive and leaves scars. So God gave us all of these beautiful things but he gave us, you know, standards around them to protect us, not to hurt us. Little example that might kind of bring all this home. So I share this when I go to speak to schools. But the story is of Adrian and Keller, a couple that Brian got to officiate their wedding. Gosh, was it a year and a half ago? Something like that? About two years ago. Uh, it seems like a minute ago. A bit, about a year ago, sorry. Anyway, Adrian was a about a senior in college at this point and had high standards in dating. She had very high standards and didn't compromise, which I love. Of course, she had boyfriends as she grew up and dated a little bit here and dated a little bit there. But as she got to know the guy a little more and realized that they didn't meet her standards, like they broke up and she never, ever for a second compromised her standards. And meanwhile, this young guy named Keller, who was also in his senior year in college, they don't know each other at this point, talks to Brian at church one day and he was like, Hey, I want to be a man of integrity one day. I want to be a guy after God's own heart as a husband, but I don't really even know, you know, I, he had a good father and all that kind of stuff, but he wants to have more examples, more just meat of what that actually looks like. So he asked Brian to mentor him and Brian's like, yeah, tell me if I'm telling any of this story wrong. <laughs> Brian's like, 
yeah, you know, me and another guy get together every Wednesday at 6 a.m. at Chick-fil-A before work. You're welcome to meet us there. And you're probably thinking like 6 a.m. I'll never see him again, right? He's a college student. But to his surprise, Keller showed up every Wednesday at 6 a.m. to learn from two guys who have daughters, two guys who tuck their girls in every night, two girls who pray, two guys who pray over their family, who have high standards of integrity, two guys who are just like amazing models of Jesus, leaders of their home. And Keller, as you can tell, got to be an amazing guy. And then the happy ending is Keller and Adrian got married. And what I want you to take away from all that is Adrian had high standards and she never compromised. What if she thought, oh, well, the guy I dated my junior year, he'll do, or he's close enough, or I'll just ignore these three things. But she knew that her God was big enough and she never compromised. Meanwhile, this amazing guy, Keller, was being sharpened to be her future husband. And they're so freaking adorable. (laughs) So I talk about that story all the time because I think it's so incredible that she had high standards and she didn't compromise. So, okay, Brian, from a guy's perspective, like if a girl raises her standards and she doesn't compromise, like if this happened in mass numbers and all the women were just like, no, we will not date you if you like look at porn, if you cuss at your mama, if you draw, you know, all the things, what would you think from a guy's perspective what the reaction would be? I mean, I think they would have to, you know, live up to what's being asked of them because one, the girls would be kind of looking above these guys. And so in some sense, they wouldn't really ever see these guys. And so for these guys to even be seen, and, and I think in dating relationships, everybody thinks that the opposite person of them has all the power in the relationship, but ultimately both sides are thinking that way. So if the girl with her power is setting the example at a high bar, and that guy knows that my life has to reach this example or I'm going to be overlooked by these girls that I want to have a relationship with. So I think it's important um, for the girls to set their standards high. One, because I think when you set your standards high, you begin to see those people who have set their standards high. So I think we see in the category of people that we're um, setting ourselves up to be able to see. Boom. It's like two cars passing on the highway, right? If you're going different directions, you don't really notice each other. But if you're going the same direction, you notice each other. Yeah, and, and another one that kind of fits with that analogy too is like, you know, we go looking for a new car and we think that, you know, nobody else has a red Honda Civic and all of a sudden we buy that new red car, red Honda Civic and we start seeing a ton more Honda Civics on the road. And I think it's a lot like that as well is that we think, oh gosh, there's no, nobody's going to live up to this. Nobody's going to have this high standards. Nobody's going to be doing this. I'm going to be all alone. And boom, we start doing it. And then all of a sudden, we start seeing all the other people who are doing it and we're attracted to them. So true, which is the same analogy of like, there's quote unquote, new, no good guys out there. Uh, yeah, it's just because you're not looking for them or you haven't noticed them. Or you haven't set yourself up to be where they're at to see them. Drop the mic. So they're there. You just want to put yourself in a situation where you notice them and they notice you. And you probably won't notice them while you're dancing on the bar, I'm just saying. <laughs> Probably not. I did not find Brian while I was dancing on the bar. I found him at church. And I mean, that's not to say like you cannot find a good guy at the bar or you can only find good girl guys at church. I mean, there's not in a box here. I'm just saying, you know, Andy Stanley always says, are you who you're looking for is looking for. And being in that right environment to find the guy you're looking for, it just makes it a heck of a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. So how can these ladies 
learn more and discover more. Hey, was that the segue? (laughs) I like it. Yeah. So two of my favorite books on this subject, and I've mentioned them before, are Gary Thomas wrote a book called The Sacred Search. It's so good about dating and all things. And Andy Stanley has a sermon series. You can look it up on YouTube and a book called Love, Sex, and Dating. And I feel like everything I ever talk about was gleaned from one or both of those books. What do we do here? Just say over and out? Sounds good. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hey, if you loved this episode, I would love your feedback. Head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. Reviews are like fertilizer for podcasts. We love sharing them and they help others know where to find us. And the coolest thing you could do is just take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram. Tag me at Katie Bulmer Life and I would love to thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Truth For Your 20s.